An invitation to a wedding usually writes as one of the more enjoyable opportunities to participate in a festive occasion. We know that love will be celebrated, a new life for a bride and groom will be toasted, and generally a good time will be enjoyed by all of the invited guests. At first glance, the wedding invitation in today's Gospel parable appears like any other. But, of course, this is one of Jesus' parables, and we just know that there's something else going on here. Perhaps the first clue comes in the reading from the prophet Isaiah, who uses the image of a great banquet on top of a mountain where there is rich food and choice wines, and where the Lord of hosts is indeed the host. And not only will this be a great meal for all of God's people, but Isaiah says, the veil of mourning will be lifted. Death will be no more. Such is the banquet of God, that it dispels all of those other aspects of life, that keep us from knowing the great joy that comes with the invitation of God. I know this is a little bit dated, but remember the scene near the end of The Sound of Music on the top of the mountain when the Trapp family had escaped the impending persecution in Austria and how they celebrated their freedom with great joy. There are echoes of Isaiah's prophecy in that what we might call pop culture. And it sets up, of course, the parable of the wedding feast in today's gospel. What began as a select group of guests becomes an indiscriminate invitation. The first group having decided that apparently there's nothing as important as their own agenda of work and leisure, simply refuse to acknowledge the invitation from the king. But the king is not deterred from his desire to have a feast. And so he sends his servants out again, and yet a third time, into the streets and into the towns, into the fields, to find guests who must fill the banquet hall. There are no restrictions we find in this invitation of the king. Whoever is there on the roads and on the streets, they're invited. And what began as a proper wedding banquet for the king's son has become a beggar's feast. Having received my share of invitations to wedding banquets in my life. The first year I was ordained, I had 40 weddings. It's a wonder I didn't swear off wedding receptions forever, but I kept going and went to them all. But there's an interesting thing in this parable today. From my experience, there's no mention of the bride. What is more astonishing 
that it appears as we read this parable that the groom, apparently, is intending to marry the guests. Not only does he want them to be there, they are invited to participate. He wants to marry them. And so what began as a judgment against the chief priests and the leaders of the people has turned into something else. And so I think we need to explore a little bit what's going on there as a teaching for us. And I think this teaching perhaps has a couple of levels. One is God's invitation to us through the Son to participate in the life of the Son, Jesus Christ, to participate in that great reign of God that is going to bring new life, new love, new hope for all God's people. We are to share in that ministry so fully and so faithfully that it is as if we were married to the Son of God. In fact, we are. And we call it the New Covenant. And every time we celebrate Eucharist, we speak of the New Covenant in His blood, in His life. The image of marriage, of course, has some social baggage, and so it might sound funny if we said, you know, this is the new marriage in my blood. But it is covenant. It is a new covenant. The second level of the invitation is the one that gathers us then at the table, the banquet table, whether in person or virtually. We are invited to the banquet of love, to the table of the Lord, to come from the roads and the streets and the corridors of our lives, to this place, to this table. And we're invited not just to be observers, but to be participants. Here, Jesus desires to marry us. Hence, we have that phrase, the church is the bride of Christ. As a people of God, we have long associated a certain architecture for this feast. In more normal times, that architecture would be for all of us who are associated with this community, this chapel. But for now, let us think that we are on that rather expansive mountain that stretches to include whoever is gathering in this day, on this day and in this way with our focus on the table of the wedding banquet, the banquet of commitment that God has made with us that we receive and return to God and in a sense take those words from the wedding ceremony and say it is for all the days of our life. There's a little surprise, I suppose, at the end of the parable. And we think about that poor fellow who, did, who didn't have a wedding garment and got tossed out on his ear. What's with that? I mean, he was, he was invited to come at the last minute. Was he the only one 
that didn't have a wedding garment. So we, we kind of uh, object to that treatment that he gets, I think. But we have to remember, this is a parable. It may not have been part of the original parable. Maybe Matthew put that in there as a kind of little homily to shock his listeners of the gospel years after Christ's teaching. We don't know. We only understand that in a parable there can be other levels and other ways of understanding what is being said. The wedding garment, we know, is an image of a relationship that the guests would have with the groom. And not only just a relationship, but a sign that they were eager to participate in the good fortune of the groom. In other words, this little ending of the parable is saying, by the way, it's not enough just to show up. Every marriage is a turning point in the life of a couple being married. It's more than just showing up. And for us, every Sunday is a turning point in our week. Every Eucharist is a turning point in our journey of faith. Every invitation to the banquet of God is given so readily and received so often. Marrying the son may be a little more difficult, but it is altogether more wonderful.